You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. A quick note that this episode was put together completely virtually, with each of us working from our own homes, with makeshift studios being cobbled together in our bathrooms and our closets. On behalf of the entire Metamorphosis team, I hope you are staying healthy, happy, and safe in this difficult time. And we want to extend our sincerest thanks to the healthcare workers and other essential staff that are working tirelessly to combat this pandemic. Now let's get to the episode. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another quarantine edition of Metamorphosis. My name is Tina. And I'm Faison, and together we are medical students interviewing BC physicians to learn more about their specialties to help us navigate our medical careers. Today, Dr. Barinder Singh, a forensic, hospital, community, and reproductive psychiatrist, is joining us remotely due to physical distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome, Dr. Singh, and thank you for so graciously sharing your time with us today. Thank you for having me. Dr. Singh, if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, how you decided to pursue medicine, what made you choose psychiatry, and then the field of forensic psychiatry, and what your career path has been like up until now. So, um, when I was born, uh, my mother had a birth chart done, uh, my birth chart done by a family astrologer, and he wrote that I was going to be a doctor. <laughs> so, wow. Wow. so, I didn't really have a choice. It's written on my birth <laughs> chart uh, that I would do medicine one day. So I kind of always that's what I wanted to do because that's what my mother told me. And so I did medicine after completing undergrad in um, biology. And then after I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in medical school, I was, you know, I didn't feel strongly about anything at that point, really. So um, I applied to family medicine. And I did family medicine um, in Nova Scotia. And it was sort of in in Cape Breton. So it's a bit of a rural practice. It's a very different practice than one would have, let's say, in Vancouver or the lower mainland. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would do like pap clinics and lumps and bumps clinics and things like that. And then I moved back to Vancouver uh, because my family's from here. And I practiced as a GP for about six months. Um, But while during my family medicine residency, I was really like surgery. I was like, I want to do surgery because I don't like EKGs. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, exactly, right? Like if you don't want to do internal medicine, then you have to go with the non-medical specialties. And I was really interested in surgery and did a lot of electives during the second year of my family medicine. I even dated... Uh, someone who was uh, in the field, uh, which actually opened my eyes a little bit because it showed that it wasn't something I was interested in. Uh, And I was doing my uh, elective in family medicine in my last year in Halifax when the chief resident kind of invited all the fifth years and said, you know, let her know like what it's going to be like. And they told me not to do it. All of them, all fifth years said, don't do surgery. It's not as amazing as it looks. And then one trauma fellow like pulled me aside and he said, I regret going into this. Don't do it. It was almost like the universe. I'm not trying to put surgeons down, but I really, really was thinking about it, you know, so it just didn't work out. And I like writing as well. So my writing mentor in Nova Scotia, who's sort of a really someone I'm really close to, 
she had had breast cancer. She was a breast cancer survivor, and she told me that perhaps, you know, I like stories. She said, you know, you really like stories, so why don't you think about psychiatry? Because as a surgeon, you're not really going to get the stories. You're just going to see the people and operate on them. That's it. And um, and then my last elective in family medicine, I, I decided I wanted to do an elective in psychiatry because you get one month of psychiatry in family medicine, and that was really good. And it was my last elective, last rotation. And they, like, you know, threw a going away party for me, and the psychiatrist gave me a pen and said, from Harrods, and he's like, this is a pen. I still have it. I haven't used it. It's in like, this packaging and he's like, you should think about this. You know, it was almost like the universe was conspiring for me to, because I, was, I wasn't sure Then I was thinking about surgery. And then it was almost like the universe kind of propelled or pushed me to do this. And so then I practiced for six months and I was still planning to just do family medicine, but I was feeling burnt out, like, because I was working in walk-in clinics and we know how difficult it is because I was used to the rural practice and here it's quite different. And so when I would treat my patients who had mental health issues as a as a family doctor versus a medical student or, or a resident, I felt really fulfilled. Like I had a patient, I still remember her, I gave her like 20 of Prozac and the next time she came to see me, she was better, like everything was good. Uh, where And then I treated someone who had a lot of comorbidities and I gave them an antidepressant and they got better and then all their other things got better like their diabetes were better controlled their you know um uh they were exercising more so like the whole health changed uh so you can't really have physical health without mental health so that's what really clicked for me so i applied i was like you know everybody told me you know you're not going to get a second residency they don't really encourage that because you've already got a residency and they need family docs but I applied anyway, you know, and I got into the psychiatry program in, in Ontario. And so I did, they gave me a year off. So I did four years of psychiatry. I practiced the whole time as a GP because I had an independent license. Um, so I was able to pay off my loans and, you know, get a house and things like that. And then uh, because I didn't have that pressure on me to pay off debt right after residency, um, I came to, I was on the Canadian Psych Association board. I was the chair for the residents because I just, you know, at that point, because I'd already done family medicine, I was in a different headset than I was during my family medicine residency. Um, so I was very involved. Anyway, I met somebody who worked at the forensic hospital here. He was on the board. He was the forensic representative and the director of the forensic hospital. And I asked him if I could do an elective at his hospital because I'm from Vancouver. And so I came here and they offered me a fellowship in forensics because they had a position. So then I did the forensic fellowship. So it was almost like I just was at the right place at the right time. It was very, it's not something I had planned. It wasn't the path I had planned for myself. Like it's the Robert Frost, you know, poem, I lo wandered lonely as a cloud, you know, or the two roads diverged in a, in a wood. Sorry, that one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't know about this road. I don't have anybody in my family who's in medicine. Um, nobody was there to guide me, but it was almost like the, the, 
I, some people are going to say, oh, she's so spirit, like, you know, this. Um, but anyway, I, I almost feel it was like the universe. Like, it was almost like, you know, like in The Alchemist, you have to sort of take your journey and then you, you're, you, you have to take the whole journey to get to your destination, which might be in your own backyard. That's a really unique story. I'm just wondering, I think it's so unique that you were thinking between surgery and you kind of ended up in psychiatry. And that's a really unique kind of path. Do you see similarities between the two fields at all? I know they sound so like contrasted, but I mean, if you were really considering both, do you think that there's certain aspects of it that overlap? Yes, yes, I do. In fact, I worked during my psychiatry residency with a psychotherapist. He was a psychiatrist who had been an OBGYN before. So he was an obstetrician and he went back and did psychiatry. And you will see that psychiatry is one of the few fields where people who've done other residencies go to later. So we have people who've done family medicine. We, we even have in Lower Mainland, if you do any rotations in uh, Surrey Memorial, a nuclear, nuclear medicine doctor who did nuclear medicine residency first and now he does psychiatry. So the guy who was the obstetrician told me during my residency, he's like, you know, surgeons cut with their scalpel and then they, you know, um, we do the operation of the spirit, the soul. And so we have to, like, let's say we're doing some sort of therapy around trauma. So you open up that wound, you fix that particular little wound you ligate it you stitch it up and then you move on to the next one or you excise the wound and you take it out and so he had a really good analogy around this Mm -hmm. but um, I think it appeals to people who are not necessarily like medicine oriented right it appeals to people who who want to do something else like with their hands we don't use our hands in psychiatry. I often say this to people. We use our souls. We, you know, our souls are our stethoscope. We don't really wear the stethoscope or the white coat, right? And so you have to use yourself. You are the instrument. Mm-hmm. More so than any other field of medicine in psychiatry, you, you yourself are the instrument. And, and people who have a hard time in psychiatry are the ones who can't do that as, as easily. Like for me, I've, I think I told... Kamal, right? It's, it's, um, um, I told him that I actually don't feel like I'm working. Like somebody had told me once, you need to pick a kind of a work that feels like not work, right? Mm-hmm. So when I go to work, I don't feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm just being myself, you know? And people sometimes take that as, oh, it's so easy. Because that's what I thought as a GPM. Like, what's the big deal with psychiatry? Like, what do they do? Why is it five years? But you get that when you do it. Like there is a reason that we have to train because the medicines we use are very, very, they can be very harmful. So you need to be able to balance that. But anyway, I don't know if that answers your question. What do you think it is about psychiatry that takes such a long time to appreciate? Because I think you're very right in that many other specialists don't appreciate the breadth and the depth of, of what psychiatrists have to deal with what types of problems they're solving you know some people have a certain misconception of it that it's not real medicine um what do you think it is given that all of us do have to rotate through psychiatry and at ubc it is six weeks in third year and then elect as if you can um why don't people figure out what psychiatry is really about in that time I think I agree with you. There's a lot of stigma in medicine as well as in the general population around our, the field, 
right? It, it's because it is the last frontier of medicine. It is like no man's land, right? Like when we don't know how, what something is, we refer them to psychiatry. So if, you, if, if people have that, so I have that kind of mindset. I like uh, sci-fi. I like uh, being at the edge of things. I like exploration. I like discovery. Um, and uh, the brain is so complex, right? Like, so we, it is one field. Like I, told, I tell some of my students, if you really want to make a mark in the world, this is the field to do it. Like we have seen in recent times that MD, PhD students are picking psychiatry more and more because that's where, you know, neuroscience, brain science, mental health is where it's really at. Anybody who figures out how depression works, like the mechanism, full mechanism behind it is going to get the Nobel, you know, like, because other fields have already had their, uh, their day, right? And so, um, and also it's the mystery of it. And and then that art, right? Like, I think it attracts people who have that sort of mindset as well that you know, especially in forensic, it's where medicine and law kind of meet together as close as it gets, right? Um, so I like that. I, I love literature. I love reading. I love writing. And I love stories. And we get paid to hear people's stories. I mean, like we literally get paid to hear them. So why wouldn't you do it? That's so funny that you mentioned that because I also was extremely interested in surgery. I love working with my hands. I love like outcomes you do something there's a problem and you fix it if you can diagnose the if you make the right diagnosis one of my mentors told me this he works in our department as well and he said it's usually with psychiatry it's not the medications that don't work it's that you don't have the right diagnosis so sometimes uh, bipolar disorder for example can be misdiagnosed as depression so of course the antidepressants are not going to work i have in my private practice i have a small private practice discharge many patients who have gotten better, I don't need to see them anymore. So I discharge them back to their GPs, right? Whereas, uh, you know, I don't have any patients I see, I have few patients I see chronically, but you get that, that it's sort of like you can fix things. With the medications, if it's truly physiological depression or anxiety, you follow the guidelines. Unlike surgery, you can fix it. Of course, like surgery, the tumor can come back. You know, yes, the appendicitis can't come back, but you know, there could be the tumor can come back if it's a cancer. It's similar that way. You can really um, fix the fix the problem, and that in itself is so rewarding. It makes me so happy when my pa- patients are happy. You know, I tell them that I'm like, you've made me so happy because you're happy. But that doesn't always happen, of course, right? Like in any field. How do you deal with it when you're not seeing the results that you're really hoping for? Uh, it's very important to be open with your patients. So usually what I, w- I say to them is that I am the navigation system and you're the driver. So uh, I will make suggestions. And I think that's how we get patients on board, right? You don't want to be talking down to people, especially mental, mentally ill. They're already talked down to by a lot of, lot of people, right? So we want to be engaging them at our level. And then um, I usually ask for a second opinion. You know, I'm not uh, too proud because, yes, I want what's best of the, for the patient. And maybe my colleague can give me a different way of looking at things. 
and I've done that so and that helps the patient as well yeah I think examining yourself and not being too proud to seek another opinion is so important I think that's something that psychiatrists are really great at examining themselves and questioning themselves Um, and I think that in the end is better for patient care so working in so many so many settings I would think that your practice is really quite varied. Can you describe what a typical work week looks like for you? Yes. So I I personally, it was very conscious decision because in my family medicine career, I only worked in one place and I found that was not good for me. So and on Mondays, I work at the Forensic Psychiatry Hospital, uh, which is the tertiary center for forensics. On Tuesdays, I work at Youth Forensics, which is in Burnaby. So I work with patients who are from age 12 to... Uh, 18 or 17 in the youth justice system then on Wednesdays I'm back at forensics on Thursdays I'm at reproductive mental health which I see women who are in their peripartum period which is really rewarding this is one place you see babies who are actually well and uh, you know it's it's very nice place to work and then on Fridays I do half day between youth and adult forensics again and on Saturdays I, ha- I do my private work where I have shared care GP referrals um, I like to have that because otherwise if you just work in forensics you lose touch with regular bread and butter psychiatry and I don't want to do that just yet in my career yeah that's kind of what my next question was going to be actually the the nitty-gritty details of what the bread and butter cases are of psychiatry and how long your interviews are with patients. I think it's up to the individual psychiatrist. So I'm also a member of the BC Psychiatry Association, and currently we're working on, we got a lot of money uh, from um, the government for, for medicine. So we got, they we're trying to do a parity correction, which means disparity between specialties. And psychiatry obviously doesn't get paid as well as some of the other specialties at times. So we got 25% of the money. So we were trying to decide where to put it. Um, and so there are codes where, for like for example, consults, you can it's not timed. So you can spend an hour, you can spend half hour. Uh, usually I spend about uh, half an hour to an hour on a new consult. Uh, that does not include talking to family. So because, you know, as you guys know, if you've done the rotation, collateral information is very important. And, you know, it's not like you don't get paid for that. So if you do spend over an hour for a consult, you can bill a code that shows that you've spent more time. And then uh, with uh, collateral, there's a different code. Uh, Usually my psychotherapy, I don't do the hour long psychotherapy myself right now in my career. I would love to do that when I am retiring, you know. Um, and have because you have to pick and choose for your psycho psychotherapy patients you you are in charge and the patient and you both decide that you're a good fit you shouldn't just take everybody on as that because the therapeutic relationship is very important for it to work um, so I usually spend about half hour with most of my patients and there are some who just if they just need a bit of adjustment of medication then a little bit less time yeah absolutely thank you um and in terms of what your uh, your kind of practice looks like, um, is there a lot of flexibility you find in psychiatry? I know you mentioned that you're doing quite a few things. Um, do you find that's the case for, for many psychiatrists? I think so, because like, for example, um, uh, in March, I had not to build my, you know, we get a contract for forensics and I had not sort of used up my hours that I needed to use in order to renew the contract at the same 
because um, I was doing other things. So I was able to uh, tell my reproductive clinic to just shut it down for a month. So I was able to just do one, I think I did one, one day that month just to cover for emergent cases. And then I was able to come and work at forensics at that time. So I can decide, because I'm a contractor, right? Like, as long as there's no clinic booked, especially in forensics, because the patients are in the hospital, I can go see them anytime. Uh, I can decide when I want to do that. So I have a lot of flexibility, yes. And I'm really grateful for that. Can you just share with our audience how it is that you became interested in forensics? What was it that drew you to it? So like I was saying, I was just happened to be doing an elective and it just happened to be in the forensic hospital. And one of my colleagues, my, my, my co-residents was very interested in forensics. She has done forensics in Alberta and she was on the committee with me in the Canadian Psych Association. So anyway, so I had missed the deadline for applying for the fellowship, but the program director was my preceptor and he said, I don't know, I guess he, he offered it to me. And I don't say no to things because I like to keep my doors open. And I had applied for a master's in public health, which I also did simultaneously. Um, and I got into both and I wanted to sort of do both. I was like, you know, it's not like I need the money right now because after I had finished my psychiatry residency. So it was only going to be a year. So I did it. But I really I love Sherlock Holmes. I love Agatha Christie. Um, I love so I love mystery and this is perfect because you're literally given you have to figure out if the person at the time of the offense so you are not trying to decide who who did it but you're trying to figure out at the time that it happened was the person mentally ill or not like that's one of the assessments we do which is so intriguing right like so you have to look at all sides you have to look at all scenarios you have to look at the police files you have to look at the patient story and you have to look at what they told the police when they first met you have to look at collateral the hospital if somebody saw him or her around that time and then you have to look at their past history and how they present to you and it's just so intriguing because you're um you're trying to figure that out you know it's almost like being Sherlock Holmes kind of not as cool (laughs) I mean, I guess this is why psychiatry is five years and then forensics is another fellowship with another additional year or two on top of that. Um, It requires a lot of analysis and judgment on your part because you're receiving inputs from so many different sources and you're looking at this person and you have to determine where is the truth in this. And I think that's not easy at all. It's not objective. You can just look at a lab value and, and let that inform your diagnosis and your treatment, right? That's right. I think it's it's an art, right? Like, well, medicine itself is an art, but psychiatry is sort of an art that you have to learn. And and even with psychotherapies, I mean, my family tells me that since I've completed psychiatry, I'm a better person, a nicer person. Because <laughs> um, when you're uh, doing therapy with other people, because you have to do uh, CBT uh, as part of your residency, you have to train in CBT. We're the best trained therapists hands down, better than psychologists, better than social workers. We just don't do as much because we don't have the time and we're paid by MSP, right? Uh, We get full training in CBT, we get full training in psychotherapy, uh, psychodynamic psychotherapy, we get training in family therapy. uh, And during our residency, we also get training in geriatric and, you know, all of those. 
And when you're doing psychodynamic therapy with a patient for two years with the same person, you also have to look at your responses to them, you know, and that's part of the uh, supervision. So what was happening with mine was my preceptor, who who's great, she was amazing. She's the dean of um, health sciences now, and she we would record my encounters with the patient, and then her and I would sit for an hour and go over the whole thing. So I was also very much looking at my own reactions to what the patient is telling me. So you learn so much about yourself. If you're interested in in your own psyche, you know, um, you really learn how to manage your reactions. You learn how to draw boundaries, healthy boundaries, because you cannot have in psychiatry patient. You have so much. Another thing about psychiatry that people don't realize is that we're actually the most powerful physicians in we have a lot of power and we have to take it with a with humbleness because we are the only ones who can keep people against their will in hospitals, right? And that's a lot of power. And it has to be taken very seriously that it's not abused, right? Like in, in certain countries, psychiatrists were used to detain people for reasons that were nothing to do with their mental health. So uh, patients realize that, and it's a very like close relationship, and therefore it's really important to maintain boundaries. And that comes helps you in other aspects of your life because you learn that if you you know really learn it, and then you can use that in other aspects of your life. And that's why usually psychiatrists, you know, that we don't react as much because we're able to see sometimes if we stop and think where people are coming from. Mm-hmm. Right, we're able to see both sides of the situation. So why would you get mad? Although I still sometimes get triggered, but <laughs> but I'm working on it. But why would you get upset if you're able to see this? See, you know, and empathy, right? Like it's like I said, you use your soul. I don't know if that answers the question, and that takes a long time. Oh, go ahead. That's all I, I said. It takes a long ahead. time to learn these techniques you can't learn psychodynamic psychotherapy in a year you know you need the year and a half and then you we we follow a chronically ill like someone like with schizophrenia for another you know we follow these people throughout longitudinally during our residency and then train in different subspecialties and different preceptors I think that's something that's really unique to psychiatry is you're not only training to be a good physician to take care of your patients you're training in things to do with yourself, and that helps you in your personal life, as you've mentioned, for yourself. So it's really the only residency I can think of where you're getting like a two-for-one, buy one, get one free. <laughs> yes, yes. And you do, you, you're a different person. Like, I, I've had many people tell me that in my own life, you know. Uh, I didn't get that as a GP. But now as a, as a psychiatrist, I just... But, you know, people also treat you differently. So you have to be a bit careful whether you tell, reveal your profession. You know, people sort of view us differently. But, yes, you are getting, I think, more than a two-for-one. I'm also, I'm also currently in a writing course. So, I mean, you know, I hear stories. So I want to I wanna put them out there. Not in the same way, like, of course, with confidentiality and all that. Uh, it just it just if you are interested in the human spirit and the human experience if you're interested in humanity how humans work how we how we um, operate and what makes us tick and what makes us better 
some of the most uh, beautiful people I've met have been my patients. You know, they've gone through all kinds of trauma and are still like I've had patients who've had all kinds of bad things happen to them and then say at the end of the interview, well, you know, doctor, I'm not really worried about me. I'm worried about my daughter or my grandchild, you know, and you just you see the the strength and the resilience in the human spirit while also seeing some of the pathology. But I learn from my patients constantly and they make me a better human being, you know? Do you think that outweighs some of the more negative or heavy aspects of psychiatry? Obviously, a lot of the patients you see will have really terrible traumas that they go through in their life. How is the weight of that compared to what you just discussed, the benefits and the resilience and strengths you see in them? So for me, like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. So the COVID situation has been stressing me out, right? Because we had some positive cases. Uh, a psychiatrist was tested positive. In my hospital, it was stressing me out. But then I do my private practice on the, on the weekend. So now I'm able to Zoom. Or not, I'm not using Zoom, I'm using Doxy.me and the phone. And just doing the, that day on Saturday, just making people, I called my patients, I was on video with them, and the way they were so grateful. And some of them told me that, you know, just listening to my voice made them feel better because they're in self-isolation and things like that. Helping others makes you feel good. You know, it it just does. I don't know. I'm sure you guys have experienced it. And I was like, why am I worried about some silly things when, you know, these... And I get blessings from them all the time. Like, I have patients say, you know, I wish... I've, like, had, like, older ladies sometimes just go for a hug when, you know, we're not supposed to hug our patients. But just as blessings, you know, and I tell my family sometimes, I'm like, you know, I got this thing or this good thing happened to me. I think it's because of the blessings I'm getting from my patients, you know? So I don't know. I don't really feel the heaviness of it uh, as much. Maybe it's my personality because you have to be really careful. You can't take it home with you, right? Like you have to, uh, like there are certain reports that I have read in forensics that are very difficult, and contain uh, details that are very, very gruesome. Um, And one time I took a report home and I felt like really weird about it. So I don't take anything home with me, even mentally. So you have to leave it outside your house. Is that something that you feel that is learned in psychiatry over time? Because I know a lot of medical students who are interested in psychiatry, but this is often a barrier for them when they think about going into it, that will I be able to handle the kind of content Uh, of the patient's stories. I'm going to easily get triggered by that kind of thing. Um, What kind of advice would you have for them? So I think um, I was, I read this and I've been told this by my mentors. Uh, Basically, you have to imagine that there's a tree outside your house. I'm sure we all have trees outside our houses. We live in BC. Um, And you just leave, you pretend that all of your work is like sort of in a bag and you mentally leave it on a branch outside. And you don't, I sort of think of my home as a sanctuary, you know, it's a, my, my happy place, my place where it's a very spiritual place for me. And anybody who's in my head as I enter my house, I'm inviting them in as a guest. So I have to make that decision. So if someone's in my head still, I'm like, do I want them in my house right now? So that's how I think about it. 
And of course, sometimes you wake up and you're like, oh, I should have done that for that patient. And then you just do it. Like you message your staff or you make a note that you do it the next day. But that's how I manage it. It sounds like to me that, you know, you found a really good fit with psychiatry and that, you know, you really love it. And truly, it seems like there's a lot of beauty in psychiatry. I'm wondering now, this is a tough question. What do you like least about your profession? Um, This is an easy one for me. (laughs) And maybe you guys are not going to like the answer. Um, I love my patients. I love the nursing staff. The, the unit I work with, they're amazing. And that's really important. That's if one, one thing you can take away from this is please be nice to your staff. They're going to give you back in hundred folds, right? Even my, my admin staff, even the custodial staff, be nice to everybody. We're not better than anyone. Um, my, most diff- my most challenging uh, interactions are with my fellow doctors. Do you mean within psychiatry or other specialties? Or both. I don't really interact with the other specialties as much because I'm not in consult liaison anymore. But I have heard, like as a resident, I found that was difficult uh, when you're on consult liaison and nobody's taking you seriously and stuff because there's that stigma around it again. Um, because it's in medicine, you know, people who make it into medicine, you have to be a competitive, you have to be competitive, right? So, uh, and people are always told how great they are, which we are all really great. Like we're great people, right? Um, But I think sometimes we're not kind to each other. You know, we need to be kind to each other. Um, Doesn't matter if somebody does family medicine. Uh, I actually have a lot of respect for family docs. I've been there. Uh, I have a lot of respect for all doctors, no matter what they do you know, and I think we need to respect each other and be kind. We are kind to our patients, we're kind to our staff, but we don't, we forget to be kind to each other. And I think that's for all doctors. And I think that's really important. That's my most challenging thing. So that's the only thing I find difficult, but that's not even that difficult. But I'm just saying that's, that's the thing I least like. So for me, I work a lot of things solo, so independently, so it doesn't really come into play. And some of my colleagues are amazing. They're the most beautiful human beings I've ever met, you know? But then there's always, you know, one or one or two, which we all know, you know? So that's it. But I don't have problems with admin or, you know, nursing staff or patients. I love the patients. They're the reason that I wake up in the morning and feel okay going to work. Yeah, I've noticed that across the different rotations that I've been on just in third year that every specialty has its own culture some things are passed on from older doctors to newer trainees and it's very very complicated dynamic that you have to learn to work within Um, so i can appreciate what you're saying bringing it back to forensic psychiatry um, how would you say it differs from general psychiatry so it's very different because a lot of uh, the general work is just you know seeing a patient figuring out you're their advocate right? Like you're advocating for the patient. Your fiduciary duty is to the patient, which is most doctors, all of us. But in forensics, your fiduciary duty is not to the patient. Uh, You're not supposed to be a patient advocate. You are supposed to look at the case in a very, um, your duty is to the court. So you have to get that consent from the patient 
Ideally, you should not be treating the same patients that you're doing a report on, but in the forensic hospital, we do do the dual role, which has conflicts around it. Um, so, because the patients get confused, right? Like, you're not really advocating for them. You just have to be unbiased and give your opinion, uh, expert opinion, because you're an expert witness uh, in a very unbiased way and not advocate. You cannot be advocating. So, when I meet a patient, I'm doing an assessment on, for example, uh, NCRMD, which is not criminally responsible because of mental illness, I have to tell them, anything you tell me can potentially go in your report. Whereas anything I see when I see a patient um, in uh, civil psychiatry, everything's confidential, right? So you're not really their doctor, per se. You're the expert. Your duty is to the court. That's a huge difference. So kind of like you, I grew up reading a lot of mystery novels, a lot of Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. I also grew up watching <laughs> on, like unhealthy amount of crime shows. Um, in your opinion, what are some misconceptions of forensic psychiatry and how does your experience differ from what we might see on TV? Um, I think people sort of have this opinion that they're hired guns, you know, uh, that people hire the expert to sort of speak to, on their side. So let's say there's a murder case and the defense hires, um, you know, Tina because they think Tina is always you know, she has a reputation for, because people get a reputation in forensics. I'm just using your name. I apologize. I could use like X. I say Dr. X. They hire Dr. X because Dr. X has a reputation for always siding with the defense. Like his reports kind of side with the defense. um, And he always works for the defense. And so he like looks like a hired gun. Whereas if you do your job well, you should be doing defense and crown counsel like both equally in your private practice. If you have a forensic private practice and you should not you should be presenting the case as is. But some people don't do that over time. They start advocating or they start letting their bias creep in. So you constantly have to check yourself. And I think forensic psychiatrists get a bad reputation because they're viewed as sort of hired guns, especially in the states where, um, you know, forensic psychiatrists have to speak to the death penalty. Um, So you have to be really careful. You have to constantly evaluate that and make sure you're not advocating for anyone, that you're presenting the case as it is. Have you ever felt unsafe in your work? Forensics is the safest place to work, I think. Um, Emergency room is a very unsafe place to work. Whether you're an emerge doc, a nurse, or a psychiatrist. Like, when I was a resident, a few of my colleagues got attacked in mostly male. Because if you get an inkling, you need to leave. You just don't engage with the patient anymore. Uh, But in forensics, you never see a patient by yourself. You're always with at least two other people. And patients who are high risk uh, are in more secure units. I I guess in correctional psychiatry, if you work for the prison system, it's slightly different, but I don't really work in the prison system. Um, But in forensic hospital, I feel very safe. I know that some of the nursing staff doesn't feel safe all the time, but I haven't had any touchwood problems. Knock on wood, let's hope it stays that way. 
Um, so what is your stance on the perspective that some people have that people who commit crimes have violated societal norms or rules and therefore no longer deserve help, support, or community? Um, I'm not sure if I agree with that um, because some people, you know, um, especially our patients, if they are found not criminally responsible because of mental illness, genuinely have a mental illness and they need treatment. I think we need to help people who need help. And there's a lot of people in the criminal justice system who are there because um, they have mental health issues. You know, the homeless, uh, they commit petty crimes, people with addictions. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we know that the prison system is, you know, in the States anyway, is the new kind of psych units, right? Like literally a lot of a big part of the population is have psychiatric illness. So... Um, People who commit crimes, um, yes, some of them, and that's where we come into play as forensic psychiatrists, we are asked to evaluate this, right? Like some are genuinely psychopaths. There's nothing we can do about them. And that's why it's very important to be unbiased when you're doing your assessments. Because if someone is uh, trying to, because some people will try to get uh, the mental health, uh, they want to be not held responsible for their crime because they want to, they want to use the mental health card. But that's why it's very important for our work to be able to kind of tease that out, you know? So yes, people who don't have any mental health issues, who um, do the crime, you know, in a cold-hearted, planned way, I, I think they should, uh, you know, of course, you know, get the punishment that the justice system decides. But that doesn't mean that if after during their incarceration they get sick or they get depressed or ill, that we shouldn't treat them. I mean, we're as good as how we treat, as a, as a civilization, as a culture, we treat our most vulnerable people, yeah. right? And our incarcerated population and our mentally ill population, we owe it to them to treat them well. I mean, we're in Canada, right? Like, we, we have to set an example um, and in Sweden, where they treat their incarcerated population really well, they get rehabilitated and the crime recurrence rate is low. I mean, data supports that we should help these people. Oh, absolutely. And the prison conditions are completely different over there. There's a lot more community and interaction with the guards. They're treated as human beings. And the result of that is recidivism is so much lower than what we see here or in the United States, right, where imprisonment rates are increasing. So that's, I think that's a really healthy way to look at that. Have you ever worked with someone where you think that this person is a lost cause? Or do you think there's always hope that someone can improve, even if it may not be under your care? Um, I, I think that hope is really important. Um, I always hope that people will get better, um, that I'm wrong you know that I if I haven't been able to help them that I'm wrong that I've missed something that someone else will be able to help them because I I don't want to think that way <laughs> I don't want to think that someone's a lost cause you know it would make me feel really kind of I don't want to be hopeless you know if if I work in this field I have to be hopeful I have to feel that things can get better, um, I mean, in medicine in general. And if we are feeling that someone's a lost cause, I would advise that if our colleagues or people listening to this feel that way at some point in their career, um, or if they start feeling that way about a few patients, then they should maybe look at getting some 
sort of support in place for themselves because we do burn out, you know, all of us. We're all vulnerable. We're not just because we are the doctors doesn't mean that we are not at the at risk of the same things, right? Like we don't want to burn out. So then, you know, you need to meditate, do yoga. That's what I do. So if I'm feeling like hopeless about certain situations, I will uh, look at what I need to do in my life to make sure I, like, I don't want to ever tell a patient that you can never get better. You know, I think that's not what I'm there for. And who are we to say that anyway? There's no way to know. Yes, and I think it's really inappropriate. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it would be very hurtful to hear that for somebody, right? Unless that is true. But then you can say, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I've missed something. I will refer you to my colleague who is very, very talented and a great doctor. And maybe they can come up with a plan for you that I've missed. That's what I do usually. I'm just kind of switching veins now uh, to more about a general perspective of picking psychiatry. Um, For a lot of the medical students right now listening to this podcast are kind of mixed directions. Where should we go? Um, What do you wish you had known as a medical student while you were in your training? If you could go back and think, man, I I really wish that I I knew this piece of information or knew this kind of um, thing about psychiatry or surgery Um, in medical school the only thing I will say is don't be so hard on yourselves I think we're so hard on ourselves I don't want to be in my 20s ever again it's difficult time like getting into med school is so difficult and then being in med school and then you're constantly like I'll use the word hustling you know like you literally have to hustle and I've had some of your colleagues come to me and and tell me, you know, they feel kind of alone. Um, Don't be so hard on yourself. It's all going to work out, okay? And you might not even know how it's going to work out. I would have never imagined I would be here doing this podcast with you in the ever in my life. I'm not kidding. This is true. I would have never imagined I would be doing forensics. I would have never imagined somebody would have offered me a fellowship, okay? I would have never, ever thought that I would make the kind of money I'm making. I will not talk about that here, but it's good. (laughs) And uh, I'm very comfortable. I am financially secure. I have, you know, but you need to just take care of you, okay? Love yourself. Really do a lot of self-reflection. Pick a specialty not because other people are telling you it's the best one or because MSP billing shows that that's the highest paid one because let me tell you, MSP billing does not reflect true income, okay? Uh, for forensic psychiatry, we don't even bill MSP. The, the, my colleague bills like very little MSP, okay? So don't look at the money. Don't look at what looks glamorous. Look at you. Where do you feel when you do, when you go to your, which rotation did you go to where you did not feel like it was work? Absolutely. You know, and if you do that, if you do what you love, you're going to make money at it. Doesn't even matter. Like after 200,000, the government takes most of it anyway. And, you know, if you love what you do, because we spend 80% of our time at work. So your spouse is the most important decision you'll make, right? Because that's your partner in life, followed by the work you pick. And pick something you love 
If you love it, you're going to be happy. Doesn't matter what is happening in the world. And I will say psychiatry is, for me is the best also with this whole COVID situation. Um, we are working, we have more work than, you know, some of our colleagues even now. Not that that should be, you know, used as a negotiating thing, but I just love what I do. I don't feel like I'm working. So I would tell myself, don't stress, relax, take care of yourself, focus on your personal life, because some of us don't do that, and take care of your health and mental health, and do your best. Show up, be kind, you know, to each other and to yourself. I think we're not kind to ourselves. I'm not always either. And, and, and reach out to people. So if you feel like, don't be afraid. If you are interested in, let's say, neurosurgery and just email a neurosurgeon. What's the worst that can happen? I emailed Atul Gawande, the surgeon, you know, from Harvard, yeah, and he emailed yeah. me back. And I was a medical student. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, just reach uh, out. He might, even, he might even do your podcast, you guys. <laughs> Who knows? Um, I know you mentioned finances a little bit, and it's not obviously a huge... It shouldn't be the huge focus among picking a profession. We live... You know, it's, it's a reality. It is a reality. And I think a lot of medical students do talk about this. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions, like you mentioned about MSP billing in particular... Um, I was just kind of wondering, realistically, um, are there different payment models that are available in psychiatry or the cost of running a psych practice that people are not aware of? Uh, because I think a lot of medical students right now have this idea that, and it is true that psychiatry tends to be one of the lower end of um, uh, MSP billing yeah, of specialties. Um, is there anything that you could tell to medical students? I know you, you discussed that it shouldn't be the focus and it, it shouldn't be, but a lot of medical students obviously have finances on their mind. It is something that comes up as a barrier for many of them. So, yes, we have different payment models. So um, we get paid by MSP. If you just see patients in hospital or in your private practice, then you also get sessional billing in between. So you get mixed billing if you work for a health mm -hmm. authority. So let's say I see a patient, I bill for that, and then I'm doing dictations or talking to my colleagues around a patient, I can bill sessions for that. And you get limited number of sessions, you don't get a lot, so you still have to see MSP. So what the billings you guys see on MSP are just billing MSP. They, you don't guys don't see the sessional billings. In forensics, we just have sessions. So those don't even are not even captured, and they're a little bit different than the sessions that are general psychiatry sessions. And also, um, I work for youth forensics, which is not even it's 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 not even a health authority. It's under the Ministry of Children. A lot of the psychiatrists, some of them work one day a week, or some of them only do MSP work one day a week, or some of them are doing. A lot of them are do, some of them are doing it every day, and their billings you'll see. Some are half part-time. A lot of them are on maternity leave. So you can't, and it's the average of everyone, right? Right. So it's, it doesn't reflect true income. If I work as hard as a surgeon, I can make more than a surgeon. Mm -hmm. So on that vein as well, um, I was thinking about like work-life balance and how finances play into this. You want to love what you do. You want to get paid for what you do so that it doesn't, you, you love it so much that it doesn't feel like work and the money will flow. Um, how how do you think you're achieving a, a work-life balance uh, in psychiatry? Do you find that that's something that is achievable in the specialty? 
for sure because nobody's asking me to work Saturdays right like I don't have to be in order to get my OR time for example I'm using surgery because I know a little bit about that I don't have to you know work certain number of hours or be on call a certain number of time most of my call is home call I do one in hospital call in Surrey Memorial one day a month uh, I'm on call today actually which I probably should turn on my pager um, which is home call and I get paid okay for that you know for the whole week I usually have the pager for the whole week I seldom have to go into hospital so I think in psychiatry you really have that that opportunity like like who can say they see I saw the last uh, few Saturdays all the weekend patients from my from my home office my secretaries were in their office they were forwarding patients to me but I was sitting in my pajamas, well, not fully in my pajamas, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> That's what's happening with us right now. <laughs> so it was like very comfortable, right? And I have thought about that. I was like, you know, if I have children, and I know some psychiatrists do that, they can, if they have private practice, some females, they, you know, um, can... In your office, you can have, like, another room where your kids are. So in between patients, you can go see them. So it's great. You can do whatever. The world is your oyster. You can literally, like, make it whatever you want. You know, your practice. You can work really hard and play hard. Go ahead. That's something I love about psychiatry is, like, as a surgeon, you are so dependent on the OR, you're dependent on the tools, you're dependent on all the staff around you that's helping you in that surgery. You don't need anything but yourself in psychiatry. Maybe you have a pen and some paper, but everything is your brain and your eyes and, and you. I think that's amazing that you're not dependent on anything. No, over, very little overhead, right? Like, And I have an EMR from my private practice, so it's on my computer. I can, I have it on here, so I don't really need and I type as I go, so I don't even really dictate for that work. So just switching gears, what traits do you think make someone well-suited to the field of psychiatry? And conversely, which traits would you see in someone and think, oh, maybe you might be uh, great at another specialty like ortho or pathology? (laughs) If you like stories, if you are interested in uh, understanding uh, how we work and why we do things the way we do, why we do the things the way, the way we do them. And if you really have this sort of um, desire to help those who most of society has kind of um, left, you know, on their own, to their own devices, you'll do well. Like, you'll do really well. You won't really feel, like, burdened by it. But if you're someone who has a hard time with, you know, certain kind of aspects like, um, or if you like, you know, you can't be too egotistical in this field. Like you can't really think that you're going to be this important person and everybody's going to be, you know, bowing down to you and things like that, which might happen anyway. But it's not something you, if that's, if you want like sort of that validation and sort of status, you know maybe um maybe don't pick this although i feel like we get a lot of respect uh i get a lot of respect i don't feel i'm disrespected i i get a lot of validation and 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 
and status as well. Not that that's the reason I did it. But if you do it for those reasons, you might not like it so much, you know? It's also your intention. What is your intention for doing what you're doing? So I don't know. I'm not sure if that answers your question, the traits that you would make a good psychiatrist or not. I think if you have the right intention, like your intention is good, that you want it, you do this because you want to help others. And that's in any field of medicine. I think it applies to all of them, really. No, I think that's great. Right? If you're going into ophthalmology for the wrong reasons, you're not going to be happy. Yeah. I, I think that's for any field, exactly what you're saying. Moving on to the future of psychiatry, do you think it will start to transition towards a more telehealth-based way of practicing? And how is that in terms of efficacy compared to seeing a patient face-to-face? That's a great question. I have thought about it recently myself, and I'm not sure what the college is going to do, but I do think that my patients want to see me in person because I was talking to a few of them, and uh, um, they like the mix So maybe sometimes I could call them, but they do really want, I think it would be important to still see them at least once a year or twice a year in person, even if telepsychiatry or telemedicine is really um, comes, you know, there's a great uptake after COVID is over. Um, Because like some of my patients, they get dressed just to see me. They never leave their house. So I'll tell you a story. I had this encounter um, just three weeks ago with a patient and he always wears a suit when he comes to see me. He has bipolar disorder, but he's stable for years, doing really well. And I called him and he's like, Dr. Singh, I've been waiting for your call. And I know you called me your star patient last time and I'm wearing my suit. I've been wearing my suit waiting for your call, just like I wear my suit when I see you in person. That's adorable. I know, I almost like, I, I almost, yeah, I'm not, I, I was very touched. Um, but they want to come and see me, you know, and, and they're so grateful just for the call, but I think, uh, or even the video, but I think, uh, with video, we do a lot of video stuff with forensics and it's just not the same. Sometimes you need the person, uh, in person, maybe at least once a year. So I, I'm thinking like maybe the college is going to come up with a happy medium. Yeah, some of the things I can think about what you're saying is someone with a tick disorder, you may not see everything. Somebody with side effects to the medications and they have a tremor, you can't pick that up as easily, right? Yeah, and also like, um, you know, they can really uh, kind of control certain things, you know, Um, or patients can hide behind, look, my video is not working today. Can we just do the phone? Um, But actually, most of my patients said that they wanted to come in they want to come in they don't some of them are okay with doing the if they're far but they still want to come and see you in person and I think uh, especially for people with anxiety I mean this is great for them because they love the self so a lot of my patients are like oh but this is not really different for me I've been doing it the whole time I've heard some of the challenges with psychiatry are no-shows. Do you think this transition potentially to telehealth will kind of mitigate that? Yeah, yeah. I think there's less no-shows for sure. Um, I don't have that problem as much in my other practice. It also depends on your staff. I think in health authorities, the staff is not as, you know, but yeah, like in an ACT team, you're going to get no-shows. But those patients might not, still not, if somebody's acutely psychotic, they're not going to be able to pick up zoom they're not going to be able to do zoom right 
Like, imagine those people you guys have seen in Emerge. You still need to see them totally. in person. I can't imagine somebody who's floridly manic logging into your Zoom and then ha- sitting there having a conversation with you. Nope. And you can't certify people over the internet necessarily. You could. <laughs> I was going to ask, um, we're approaching the towards the end of our interview now. Um, do you have any final advice for, for medical students who are still undecided and considering psychiatry? Reach out to people um, and don't be afraid. Just email. I have emailed all kinds of people and I have been surprised at how helpful people are, especially the higher up sometimes some people are. They just want to give back, okay? So don't be afraid of doing that. Uh, Be kind to yourself. Um, Do your best and really self do a lot of reflection. Ask people who know you well what they think you would be a good fit in, you know? Don't let materialistic things sort of decide your career path because the money is okay in anything as long as you put in the hours, okay? And um, and if you really want to do, you know, we do okay in medicine in general. And, and um, yeah, be kind to yourself. I think that would be, and each other, please. Let's not put each other down. They, this specialty is better than this specialty. We are all, all are needed and we need to respect each other, be kind to each other and take care of our personal and mental health, both physical as well. Sorry, I forgot that. That's it. <laughs> of course, and reach out to me. Anybody who's listening, feel free to reach out to me. My email is available on the UBC website and I'm happy to help. I've met a few of your colleagues outside of outside of work and... I'm happy to help in any way I can. Thank you very much. That's so generous of you. Kind of our last question for you now is what are you most proud of? I did my MPH at Harvard. So um, that's one thing I'm really proud of. It was my dream to go to Harvard. I didn't know that they have this because I didn't think I could afford it when I was an undergrad. Um, But apparently... Harvard, once you get in, the endowment fund is such that, you know, they they pay for you. It's basically trying to, I didn't know this. Anyway, so I got in and I did my um, MPH and I have met a group of people who inspire me. We have a group, we, there are doctors and directors and people around the world and uh, who are really amazing. And so that's what I am most proud of for myself. That was my dream. And I'm lived it so it's great wonderful congratulations that's really an achievement to be proud of just for our audience mph is masters of public health yes i am proud of that that's it (laughs) well we just want to say thank you so much for taking out the time to speak with us today dr singh Uh, we really appreciate everything that you said today very insightful uh, discussion with you and we wish you all the best in the rest of your practice and i wish you all thank you so much Good luck, and I hope to see you as colleagues soon. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye. If you're interested in more content, there are two other podcasts you might want to check out. First, from UBC's Continuing Professional Development Department, is a series called Updates for Healthcare Providers, Experiences from the Frontlines. This brings together panels of healthcare professionals working directly in the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Another great show you might enjoy is hosted by Drs. Sarah Fletcher and Morgan Price 
who also happens to be our guest on a great episode of Metamorphosis. Their podcast is called Primary Care in a Pandemic, and it looks at the changes to primary care in BC and how clinics and physicians are adapting to the crisis. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 